Good morning, brothers, gentlemen. Good to see you. We have uh, completed our study of two of the major sermons that Jesus gave that Matthew records for us because we want to see what Matthew means when he says, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And we want to look at what he's commanded us so that we observe it and we can teach others to observe it. So this is really kind of a discipleship manual that we're going through this year. What is it we need to know to follow Jesus? And what is it we need to teach others and pass down to them? And we've seen in chapters 5 through 7 on the Sermon on the Mount that there's a certain character uh, to the follower of Jesus that is quite different from the natural man. And then in chapter 10, uh, we saw that uh, there's a mission that we are all on. We're carrying out the ministry of Jesus Christ. So what he did, we're going out to do. So part of the discipleship is teaching us that uh, we're not just here to kind of get through or to survive or to be generally happy or just to get along. But we are to carry out the mission of Jesus Christ. Now thirdly, come to Matthew 13, and we come to the third sermon uh, that is recorded for us in Matthew. And here we're going to see in Matthew 13 a wonderful collection of seven parables that tell us about the major theme that is in Matthew, which is the kingdom of God. We'll see that in just a moment. And we're going to see the nature of parables that are going to teach us something very important about how we are to listen and teach other people to listen to the word of God. So really Jesus here takes us into some of the secrets of, of the whole kingdom, as we'll see, and that this this uh, ministry of Jesus is the inauguration of a new reign, a new administration, uh, a new kingdom. So let's take a look and pick it up at Matthew 13, verses 1 through 23. And we'll see here that we have the introduction to this type of ministry of parable teaching. We'll have one parable given to us and uh, then an explanation of why Jesus teaches in parables and then an interpretation of the one parable he's given us, which is a very famous one. Let's look then, page 1847, uh, Matthew 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. 
Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold. In another, sixty. And in another, thirty. God help us to understand and believe this, his holy word, and to his name be glory forever and ever. Amen. Folks, uh, let's look at this in four divisions. First of all, notice in verses 1 through 3a that Jesus spoke in parables. Duh. But we want to we we stop for just a moment to say, what, what is a parable? And what, what is this all about? Well, uh, you'll notice in verse 3, it says, and he told them many things in parables. Now, the word parable in Greek is parabole. Uh, it's almost the very word that we use for parables. In the Old Testament Hebrew, that got translated, as you know, in 1st and 2nd century B.C. into Greek because the Greeks had taken over uh, Israel and therefore Greek culture dominated, so they wanted the Word of God in Greek. So they translated. We call it the Septuagint. In the Septuagint, parabole translates a Hebrew word called uh, mashal. Uh, you could spell that, I suppose, M-A-S-H-A-L. Now, a mashal in, in Hebrew could be a riddle, it could be a parable, it could be an allegory, it, it could be a, even an extensive saying of a certain sort. So a mashal was sort of an illustrative, uh, sort of uh, pictorial truth, a deep truth that was conveyed. And parabole translates that Hebrew word. So there's a sense in which from a Hebrew background, this word parabole would have a much broader significance. But in Jesus' ministry, parabole, the parable, uh, takes a narrower sort of definition. Uh, now, here's the way we would describe a parable. It is a, a conveying of something uh, in nature or in human experience from which we learn a moral or spiritual lesson. It's kind of that simple. Something in human or natural experience that conveys to us a moral or spiritual truth. 
And in the parables of Jesus, we probably, the, the people number these differently. I've seen numbers as high as 38 parables. Uh, James Boyce says he sees 27. Some people will take a, a saying of Jesus that has a little illustration to it and say that's a parable. Others say, no, that's just an illustration. Others uh, are, are uh, uh, count a little differently. But it looks as though there are 27 or so parables in the four Gospels. And you see some of them at the bottom of page 1847 there and how they're distributed in the three Gospels because the, the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are the ones primarily in which we find these parables. And you can look through those and see... Once again, these are all, uh, look at them. They're all stories about human experience. A story about a lost sheep. Well, the people in Israel would have understood very well about a lost sheep. A parable about a wedding feast. We all understand how wedding feasts work. So you see, a parable is taking an illustration or a story that is in your own experience and conveying that to people in such a way that they see there's a deeper moral and spiritual truth. Now, uh, we're familiar with different types of stories. For example, we, we're used to fables, for, uh, like Aesop's fables, where you have talking animals and all kinds of things going on. Uh, these are not fables. This is not about uh, uh, fantastic or make-believe figures. Uh, and this is how a parable differs from a, fa a fable. A parable is about a real-life experience, things that really happen. And, and the reason that Jesus uses real-life things is because he wants to show us, look, the relationship of things I'm going to talk about really happens, and, and you can see it in life. And, and he, he, he's, what he wants to convey is that the spiritual analogy also really happens. So he doesn't tell fantastical stories like uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, a Space Trilogy. Uh, he's telling us something that you see that really does happen. And then by analogy, on the spiritual side, this is really true. It's not just a myth or, or a fantasy. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll see some other comparisons as we go along. It's also not a, an allegory. Uh, for example, in an allegory, every element of the story has a spiritual significance. Every single thing. For example, if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, there's an allegory. Everything, not just the celestial city, but everything that Pilgrim runs across is parallel to something in uh, the scriptures. So in an allegory, everything is representative. Not so in a parable. Now there are some scholars that suggest that the, in order to interpret a parable correctly, you, you're looking for the one truth, only one truth it's trying to convey. I think that's too restrictive. But you have to be careful not to analogize every little single detail unless it contributes to the main point that the storyteller is giving. Now, in the parable we have before us, we'll see that th several things do mean different things. Uh, this is almost allegorical. Uh, but in parables in general, you're looking for one or two or three main ideas that are being conveyed in the parable. So that's what a parable is, and you see that Jesus is using them. Now, let's take a look then at verses 3b through 9 and look at this First parable in chapter 13. And what we learn here is that parables analogize with everyday life. Parables analogize with everyday life. So Jesus tells this parable about a sower. He's sowing seed. And the seed falls on four types of ground. Now you are listening to this parable, of course, with the knowledge of its explanation. 
because you've known it, many of you, for many years, and you just read it. So we know what it means. But think for just a moment. Jesus gets up and tells that story. What is he talking about? Why is he doing this? Well, he wants us to enter into the story. The reason that parables are told is so that it's not just one-way communication. For a parable to work, for a parable to, uh, uh, to convey real meaning, you've got to interact with it. You've got to think about it. You've got to meditate on it. You've got to enter into it. And so if you just had heard this parable, Jesus gets up and tells this story. You say, yeah, I know that. That happens every day. And this is exactly what happened. Sowers would go out and they would sow their seed profligately. They would just sow it everywhere. And then after they sow their seed, the paths develop. And surely enough, where those paths develop, that seed usually doesn't take root. And the birds come and they'll eat up that seed. But in the other places, it lands on ground where something's going to happen. And it's true also that as much as the Jewish farmer tries to get the rocks out of his field, he doesn't get them all out. And so some of the, some of the soil is on shallow ground. There's a, there's a level of rock just that much under the ground. And so the seed will start to grow, and then it gets frustrated. It can't grow anymore, and it cannot withstand the shining of the sun, the heat that comes on that plant. Everybody knows that happens. They know exactly what he's talking about. It's also true that the seed is sown in some places where thorns were, and they weren't cleared out. And so as soon as the time for growth comes, you'll find not only the seed is growing, but the thorns that stayed in the soil, they're growing too. And pretty soon, you know what happens in your garden, the weeds will choke out. They'll take all the nutrients from the soil. They'll take the moisture. They'll take everything. And pretty soon, they even cover up the plant, and there's no way it can survive. Everybody knew that. They knew exactly what he was talking about. And then he says, some will fall on fertile ground, and there you'll get, you'll get an increase. You put out one seed, and you get 30 seeds back. That was not a real good harvest, but if you put out one seed and you get 60 back, that's about average. But you put one seed out and get 100 back, there is a good bumper crop. And he says, you know what it's like. You have good soil, and there are different types of good soil, but generally they will multiply uh, your one seed investment that you made. You'll get many seeds back. Everybody understands that. But what in the world does this have to do with anything? Is Jesus trying to teach us about farming? What is going on here? Well, let's look back and see why he's teaching this. Go back two chapters in your Bible, because remember, we're, going, we're skipping through Matthew, and we skip some of these middle sections. Now, on the Sermon on Mission in chapter 10, we saw that the disciples are going to hit a wall. They're going to hit all kinds of opposition and trouble. When you get to chapter 11, you see that, uh, indeed, he begins to describe this uh, for us, Matthew does, about the kind of op opposition uh, that people get. Um, you see, for example, in uh, verse 20 in chapter 11, then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will, be, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Can you imagine that? Saying to these villages in Israel, 
that it's going to be better off for Sodom with all their wickedness than it will be for you on the day of judgment. Why? Because you had the ministry of Jesus right there in your village and you ignored it. Sodom had the, the ministry of Abraham and Lot, but you had the ministry of Jesus Christ. So they're under greater judgment. Then read on in verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now turn over to chapter 12, and you see that Jesus is going through the grain fields in verse 1. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath, etc., etc. And then look at verse 9. He heals a man with a withered hand. He says to the man in verse 13, Stretch out your hand. And a man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But... The Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus does some more teaching. And then in verse 22, a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul the prince of demons, that this man has cast out demons. Wow. They say Jesus is demon-possessed. And then you, you keep reading, and uh, he uh, teaches about the tree only uh, being known by its fruit in verse 33. And then look at verse 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And he tells them that no one needs a sign except for the sign of Jonah. And then at the end of the chapter, verse 12, you have Jesus' family waiting for him. And we know why they're waiting. They think he's lost his mind. They're trying to capture him and take him home. But he says in verse 48, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward the disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Gentlemen, here's what's going on. Jesus has preached the Sermon on the Mount. These are the kind of people that we're supposed to be. Chapters 8 and 9, he did many miraculous works. Chapter 10, he sends us out to do the same works and preach the same message. Chapters 11 and 12, you get massive opposition from those who are the best trained theologians of his day. Any follower is going to think, what is wrong here? Jesus is such a marvelous teacher. He's bringing us such good news. He's talking about a kingdom. And why is no one accepting it? If we're on the right side, why are, we, are only 30% of the world's population still claiming to be Christians? And why do only 8% of them seem to be genuine Christians? Why is this in this big world with radio broadcasts going out, missionaries going all over the world, why is this not more popularly received? Jesus said, gets into his boat. He says, y'all listen up just a minute. Let me tell you a little story. <laughs> he says, a sower went out to sow seeds. And you see what he's getting ready to tell them? He said, let me explain to you why everybody doesn't respond. There's nothing wrong with the sower. I could only hope he meant preachers there, but certainly, <laughs> uh, <coughs> certainly in this case he means Jesus, doesn't he? Okay, so... Nothing wrong with Jesus, nothing wrong with a farmer. 
Nothing wrong with the seed. The seed sown profitably all over the place. Nothing wrong with that gospel seed, the truth. It works. But there's a difference in the soil. And Jesus said, you know this, farmers. You all do this all the time. You don't, you don't wake up at the harvest day and say, I'm such a lousy farmer. All that seed didn't bear fruit. Something must be wrong with these crummy seeds. I got the agricultural store the other day. No. You know, that's the way it goes in farming. And all, all the seed that you, a good farmer, sows just doesn't end up on good soil. You see what Jesus is doing? He's teaching by parables, analogizing with everyday life, that what you're seeing in the natural realm pictures often with the spiritual realm. And you, you can better understand the spiritual realm by analogies in the natural realm. And that's the reason Jesus, that's the reason God gives it to us. So you can understand why he teaches in parables. Now, they're going to wonder why he always does this, and he's got another reason we're going to come up to in just a moment. But first of all, he's just explaining what's going on. What a wonderful minister he is to give us things that we understand. And that's what he always do, does. You see, uh, the reason we know that we can understand the Bible is that we know God wants to be known. You with me? The reason you know that the Bible has what we call perspicuity or has clarity is because God has already told us He wants to be known. And if He wants to be known, He'll be known. And when you're taking the ministry of Jesus, you can get frustrated about all the things you don't understand in the Scriptures. Just remember, there's nothing wrong with this seed, pal. There's something wrong with maybe your head or your heart. But this seed, nothing wrong with it. And it is being sown so that you will understand it. And look at the condescension of Jesus Christ. He doesn't go into highfalutin philosophical terms. He doesn't explain this with some mathematical equation that you have to understand differential equations to, 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 to interpret. He, he doesn't give us high-sounding theological words like some of us preachers try to do every once in a while to impress people. He just gives us a simple story so that we will understand. And he wants you to understand regardless of your educational background, regardless of your age, regardless of your IQ, regardless of your Bible training, he wants you to understand. And so he makes it known to us. So he analogizes with the things that we do understand so that we will understand the deepest things in the universe. And Jesus is an expert at doing this. And as we understand more uh, ably, we will better be able to explain these things simply to other people. I've always said that the teachers that really understand their subject matter the best are the ones who can simplify it the best. And I've always thought that a first grade teacher has to be the one who understands her subject the best because she can teach it to six-year-olds. And you know, those of you who are parents, the most profound theological questions will come to you when your child is four or five. And it really takes the deepest level of understanding to explain to a four or five-year-old because uh, you, you do it by analogy. Four or five-year-olds learn by symbol and analogy. They don't learn by abstract cognition. So you really have to understand something. And look what Jesus is doing. He understands everything perfectly. And he's taking a little story that, that we will understand. That's how gracious he is. He's doing this because he wants us to know. Now look what he says in verse 9 at the end of this story. He says... He who has ears, let him hear. And I want us to stop for just a moment. He who has ears, let him hear. Or as Mark 
would record Jesus saying at this point in this parable. He says, be very careful how you hear. And one of the lessons of this parable is that we all better be very careful how we hear. I'd like to give four suggestions at this point about how to hear very carefully, okay? He who has ears, let him hear. How do you use your ears to hear at the deepest level where the gospel comes into your life and bears fruit? First of all, you've got to take the time to read and study the Word. If you're going to hear deeply, you have to hear superficially first. And there are a lot of guys that are so busy in their lives, they, they just don't slow down even to read a paragraph of the Bible every day. Gentlemen, just a paragraph. I mean, I know you're, you're in amen, so you're obviously committed to studying the Bible. I'm talking about every day. It just takes seven minutes. Ask the Lord to explain or to, to make clear to you the meaning of that paragraph. What You say, what is a paragraph? Well, look at chapter 13. A paragraph would be verses 1 through 9. There's a paragraph. Because it's headed up with that, with that italics, italicized title at the top. Or in our case, a paragraph may be verses 1 through 23. You know, the whole section of the parable. But that's all I'm talking about. Not, not even a whole chapter. Just read at least a paragraph a day. And after you read it, then go to prayer and meditate upon that parable. What does this mean for me? Think about it. And then go to prayer and ask the Lord to help you with it. To apply it in your life. In other words, you want to be asking, what does this paragraph tell me about my life and my relationship with the Lord? That takes seven minutes. If you want to get an A plus that morning, you can sing a hymn. So get a hymnal or a songbook. And in the privacy of your own place, you can sing off key. You just close the door, put pillows under the bottom so your wife can't hear you, and, and sing to the Lord and praise His name. That takes seven minutes. But it's carefully hearing the Word of God by hearing the Word of God. Not just having some ruminations, your own meditations going through your head while you drive to work, but the Word of God that comes to you. Be careful how you hear by being sure that you talk with Him and converse with Him on a regular basis. And I know this is difficult for some of you because some of you have very busy lives. And then some of you, 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 you've always said, you're just more of a spontaneous guy. You don't like structures and rigors like that, that it seems like a big burden to you. I understand. But remember, you've had to overcome some of those habits in order to build a, a good relationship with your wife and children because you can't just be spontaneous. You have to schedule certain things that are important in that relationship. It's the same with, with God. So I, th I think there's a, there are points in your life when you do have to schedule. If you're a very spontaneous guy, you still show up to work on time because you, you have to. There's certain things you know you have to do. And so if your relationship with God is the most important thing in your life, put it in there. Be careful how you hear. Be sure you're listening to Him. Secondly, when you read the Word of God, read it and hear it as the Word of God. Be careful how you hear. You're not primarily listening to Matthew. You're not primarily listening to a preacher talk about Matthew. You're primarily listening to the Lord. He is speaking to you personally. And you have thought all along that this was an interesting theological book or another book kind of like the Quran or the Upanishads or some other book, the Talmud, and you were reading it as interesting religious material. You, you weren't listening carefully. 
Be careful how you hear. God is speaking to you. So be sure that when you read the Bible, you're reading it as the king of all kings talking to his subjects. You read it reverently. You read it believingly. You read it meekly and humbly. You can read it on your knees. It's a good way to read the Bible. Be careful how you hear. He who has ears, let him hear the Word of God. Thirdly, when you read and hear and you hear it as the Word of God, be sure to meditate upon it. Be careful with it. What is its real meaning? What's the point of this? What have I learned about God through which I'll be praising Him more highly today? What have I learned about salvation that will give me more comfort today? What have I learned about the walk of a Christian that will change my speech today? What have I learned about forgiveness that will enable me to forgive someone today? What have I learned about the grace of God that will compel me to be gracious to people around me? You're meditating very carefully. You're taking that story and putting yourself in it so that, for example... If Jesus talks to you about the, this parable and says, hey, you ever thought about a sower who sows seed? And you say, yourself, you start meditating on that. And you say, am I, am I sowing seed? Am I sowing seed profligately? And then you say, do I really believe the seed will work? Do I have confidence in the Bible? You say, I'm just in my devotions now, just meditating. And then do I say, what kind of soil am I? If someone were to look at my life, would they say, well, there's, there's a life where something's come up. There's an interest there. But you know, there was initial enthusiasm, but then it fell off. Or, yes, there's interest there, but yeah, there's so many other ambitions in his life. It just got all choked out. Or would they say, boy, there's a life that's bearing fruit, coming from fertile soil. You see how you meditate. And your meditations then lead you into conversation. So you read the words of the Bible, you meditate on it, and then you go to the Lord with those meditations. You see how that works? And so often, it's just by rote. I read the Bible and I pray a set prayer, and it usually sounds pretty much the same way every day. Lord, uh, thank you for your daily mercies. Thanks for the good rest last night. Help me to serve you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's nothing wrong with that prayer if you mean it. But how about if I read this text and I start thinking about new things that God has opened up for me in His Word. I'm, I want to be careful how I hear. And if I'm careful how I'm hearing, I'm meditating, and I might even decide to memorize a verse, like, He who has ears, let him hear. I might memorize that verse as I go off to work that day. And I might just keep thinking about that all day long. You see, that's someone who's being careful how he hears. And we're going to see that those who miss the kingdom are those who are not careful with what they heard. They might even believe the Bible is the Word of God, but they're not careful how they heard. They don't meditate on it and apply it to themselves. Now, fourthly, if you're going to be careful how you hear, you put it into practice. You put it into practice. So when you're meditating and praying to the Lord and asking for His help, you then rise from your knees in hearing the Word of God and you walk out as a, a man who's changed. You've been changed that very morning. The Bible has taken you going this way and has turned you. And you're turning now and embracing Christ. And you turn because, precisely because you've beheld His mercy. You know He's forgiven you for all your sins that you just confessed. Because when you're meditating on the Word and you see what God wants you to do, uh, you start confessing, Lord, I, I, I've fallen short. I haven't, been very, I haven't been living a very fruitful life. Please forgive me. 
And you ask Him then to make you fruitful. And then you arise with a new endeavor and resolve to follow Christ. You, you really want to walk with Him. So you're, you, you arise from hearing the Word of God as a changed man. That's hearing the Word carefully. Hearing in Hebrew uh, means to obey. Uh, so when Samuel said to the Lord, Speak, O Lord, your servant listens. He meant listens and obeys. And uh, Shamuel, Samuel, means to hear God. And Samuel heard God. And you can see what Samuel did. When he heard God, he said, Speak, Lord, your servant listens. And he did what the Lord said. That's, at the bottom line, the most careful hearing of the Word of God. So you see the sequence. First of all, you've got to let Him speak to you through reading or hearing the Word. Secondly, you have to uh, hear it as the authoritative Word of God. You have to know who's speaking to you. Samuel didn't know. He kept going back to Eli, the priest. And Eli said, Samuel, go back. It's the Lord talking to you. I wasn't calling you. The Lord's talking to you. And you say to the Lord, speak, Lord, your servant listens. So be sure you get it as the authoritative Word of God. Then you meditate on it so that you know what the Word means for you. And you confess your sins and ask for help. And then you arise and actually do the Word. Now what we're going to see is, it's only those who do the Word who keep the Word. Theologians think they're keeping the Word because they have so much knowledge intellectually. But what Jesus teaches us, that knowledge doesn't save anybody. And often doesn't help anybody. The knowledge in the Bible that counts is a knowledge of life. It's a way of living. It's a lifestyle. So basically, for a follower of Christ, the Word is heard when we conform to the Word. And when we conform, then we keep what we have. And you see here, he teaches that, uh, as we'll see in a moment, that only those who obey actually keep what they've been taught. So there you have it. Jesus is analogizing with everyday life so that we'll be careful to hear. And we have to press on beyond those stories that he gives us so that we are listening carefully. Now, thirdly, let's look at verses 10 through 17. Here's a, an amazing passage, truly amazing, and one that a lot of people just skip. Well, you know, Jesus, Jesus sometimes has a bad day. You know, he loses his temper a little bit, maybe goes off his rocker. Uh, I mean, I've heard people make all, I mean, literally make excuses like that. I heard, heard a preacher one time. I was traveling around, just visit, I was on sabbatical visiting different preachers. And a preacher says about a difficult passage like this, well, you know, everybody has a bad day. <laughs> yeah, like you. Uh, uh, but here, Jesus, uh, they, the disciples say to him in verse 10, why do you speak to them? In parables. Why are you just telling them these stories, Jesus? Why don't, you, why don't you be direct? Why don't you give them some didactic content? Why don't you tell them what to do? Or why don't you just be specific? Why do you keep telling these little stories? And Jesus gives a remarkable answer. He says, okay, let's talk first about you, and then let's talk about them. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. So he's saying, I'm talking to everybody in parables because there's going to be a distinction in humanity between those who are in my boat with me 
and those who are just in the crowd. Now, Jesus was in the boat, and presumably his disciples got in the boat with him. And presumably he's talking to them in private in the boat. He says, to you it was given to know. And this is why he's talking in parables, because the parable has a way of splitting so that those who have a hard heart don't get it. And the parable becomes a, a judgment on them, that they're confused, befuddled, don't get it, get mad. And then over here, these people actually see the wonder and amazement of what he's actually saying through this ingenious little story that he just told. Isn't the, the, the reaction remarkably different? And he says there's a reason for this. Let's keep reading on. He says, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, look at this, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. That is why I speak to them in parables. Because, listen to this, seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And then he cites Isaiah. He says, look, parables are very helpful for you. I'm going to show you in just a minute how this parable is going to be very helpful for you. You know, people 2,000 years later will be sitting in the Fellowship Hall in Memphis, Tennessee, in the United States of America that doesn't exist right now, and they'll be talking about this parable because it's so helpful. But on the other hand, this parable keeps other people from seeing. It's, it's actually an act of judgment that the truth of the kingdom is coming in a way they can't grasp. So that even what they think they have is gone. And what you have and keep taking, more is added to you. So you put it into practice and you get more. And you keep getting more and more and more. But this other group, even the seed that was given, it, it's gone. They don't, they don't understand it. It's gone. And the more that comes, just the more frustrated they get. It's an act of God's judgment. Now, when he cites Isaiah, that's from Isaiah 6. And you will remember that at the beginning of Isaiah 6, Isaiah has that phenomenal vision with the Lord Adonai seated on his throne, which we believe to be a pre-incarnate vision of Jesus Christ himself. Because that's what John says in John chapter 12, Isaiah saw the Lord Jesus. So 800 years before Jesus was incarnate, Isaiah saw him in a vision. And Isaiah, of course, was, was slack-jawed. He said, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the king. He knew he was destroyed in the presence of the holy God. And then what did God do? He, as it were, nodded to the seraph who took, took a coal from the altar and sizzled his filthy lips and said, your sins are forgiven, your, your transgressions are taken away. And then after Isaiah had seen the holiness of God and experienced the grace of God, then God says, whom shall I send and who will go for me? And of course, Isaiah would have been a fruitcake if he hadn't said, here I am, send me. And that's exactly what he said because he had seen the holiness of God, experienced the grace of God. There's only one thing to say. Here am I, send me. Then you remember this text shows up and God says, okay, I'm going to send you. And I'm going to send you so that when you preach, people's hearts will be hardened further. 
Now, this is the reason Isaiah had to have a vision. Who's going to do that kind of ministry? It's kind of like doing the ministry of Ezekiel. Just go down to the graveyard and start preaching to the gravestones. That's what Ezekiel was told to do. And then, of course, the knee bone connected to the hip bone, the hip bone. Because God raises up dead people through the preaching of the word, right? But here he tells Isaiah, I'm going to send you to live people, but your preaching is going to make them worse. Thank you, Jesus. Now, some of us make people worse by ourselves. <laughs> we don't need any help from God. Uh, but in this case, God is saying, the truth that you're going to preach, Isaiah, will make their hearts harder. That's the reason Isaiah needed this vision. Because sometimes you take the seed, it hits hard soil, people only get mad at you and throw things at you. You better know why you're there. You're not there because you think you might be able to help somebody. Now, you might be able to, and that's good. It's always good to help somebody. But you're there fundamentally because you have a vision of a holy, gracious God who said, whom shall I send and who will go for me? And you, you couldn't say anything but here I am, send me for whatever your purposes are. And if His purposes are for you to live a Christian life that glorifies God through more judgment, you should cheerfully accept that calling because of His holiness and His grace. And that's what He's saying to His disciples. Do you understand? Do you understand why the Pharisees don't get what I'm saying? Do you understand why many in Israel don't get what I'm saying? Because in Isaiah, Isaiah was sent to the Israelites. It was the Israelites, the church, who had hard hearts. And do you realize God continues to send prophets to people who are rebellious against God? He still abides with them and is patient with them and warns them. And sometimes they get very angry. And he says, you'll continue to go and do this and I will be honored and glorified in your testimony, even when it brings hardness of heart. In fact, sometimes that's my purpose. He kept sending Moses to Pharaoh. Pharaoh had hardened his heart. And then we're told God is hardening Pharaoh's heart. And he continued to send Moses. And he tells us why. So that I may judge him and his entire administration. To let him know that he will not enslave my people. And I'm going to let the entire cosmos know that nothing will enslave my people. And it's your job to set it up so the judgment of God will be clear and glorious to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's hard stuff, gentlemen. But we have to realize we're dealing with an eternal God who is holy and just, who is completely sovereign over everything that He has made. He governs every blade of grass. And be careful how you hear. Because it is the Word of God. And He is warning His people. And He says to His disciples, Look, understand, this is what's going on. It's not because I'm an incompetent preacher. It's not because the kingdom is not real. It's not because... This is just a fantasy. I am the Son of Man and the Son of God. I am conveying the truth. And we're getting negative responses for this reason. So gentlemen, uh, you, you and I have to learn this very deeply. Because in every generation, there are people around you in your own families who think you're a nut for following Jesus. And you've talked to them multiple times. And you don't understand why they don't get it. Let me tell you, uh, either two things. Either they've not yet repented 
and therefore don't understand, or God through your life and testimony is hardening their heart for judgment. I mean, I hate to scare you, but that's what he says here is going on. This is what he's doing in the earth. So let us be very careful how we hear the king and let us not lose confidence in his kingdom. You see, the kingdom of Jesus was very difficult to understand. All of Matthew is really about the kingdom. From the very beginning of chapter 1, Jesus is the son of David. What's that about? The kingdom is coming. The Messiah is here. A king, the son of David. You get in chapter 3, what does John the Baptist say? He talks about the kingdom of God. Jesus starts off in chapter 4 of Matthew preaching. What? The kingdom of God. There's a new reign. There's a kingdom. What did everybody think would happen when the kingdom comes? Everything is going to change. The poor are going to be fed. Social justice will be here. The Romans will be thrown out. We'll have our own kingdom back. And the big problem was they couldn't see that anything was happening. And Jesus is going to explain to them the secret nature of the kingdom. It's real. It's coming. It's powerful. It's totally comprehensive. So don't be thrown off because some people reject it. They can't see it. It's a secret. It's a mystery. It takes belief in order to understand. We don't understand in order to believe. We believe in order to understand. And that's what he's teaching them. So this is the point. Parables judge the heart of heart. They judge the heart of heart. And so he quotes Isaiah and then uh, look toward verse 16, 17. But blessed are your eyes, for they see. And your ears, for they hear. Do you understand how blessed your eyes and ears are? If you believe this morning, you've been touched. You've been miraculously changed to give eyes that see and ears that hear. When you look at the miraculous stories that are in the gospel about the blind being healed, and everybody goes, no one ever heals the blind. No one ever healed the blind until Jesus came along. And then he, he... does that and gives them a willy in the ear, and the ear gets well. No one heal, heals the deaf but Jesus. What does this all show you? This is what he does for us. He heals our blindness. He heals our deafness. And he says, you all thought that you were understanding these things because you were smart. You all thought that you were understanding it because you put in the time to study and to get it. No, let me tell you why you get it. I gave it to you to get it. And he explains this once again at the end of chapter 11, right before he says, Come unto me, all who are weary and burdened. He says, Only those to whom I've revealed the Father receive Him. And only the ones that the Father has revealed me to understand me. It's an act of God that you understand. So thank God for your spiritual eyes. Thank God for your spiritual hearts. Or the gospel itself would only further harden your heart day after day. And so he says, Blessed are your eyes and blessed are your ears. For truly I say to you, Look at this. Many prophets, verse 17, and righteous people long to see what you see. And they did not see it. And hear what you hear and did not hear it. Do you understand that Isaiah himself would love to know what you know? That Daniel, who had great understanding in the mysteries by God's grace and spoke about the kingdom, would love to know what you know about Jesus Christ and the kingdom. Oh, how he would have rejoiced to understand and see how this, all thing, this thing plays out into an international gospel where people from all nations and tribes and languages now are streaming to the Zion of God where Christ is enthroned. Oh, how David would love to have seen that. How Daniel would love to have seen that. How Moses would love to have seen how the wilderness journey into the promised land is leading to something much greater than that small little piece of land on the east side of the Mediterranean. Now lastly, verses 18 through 23. 
Parables explain spiritual truths to the spiritually minded. Parables explain spiritual truths to the spiritually minded. So, what we hear here is a secret. Now, it's a public secret. It's a secret for everybody. Outsiders can become insiders very simply. Just repent and believe. Just trust in Jesus and immediately you'll be given understanding. When you trust in Jesus, you'll begin to get the kingdom. When you don't trust in Jesus, you'll take the kingdom and distort it or you'll continue to misunderstand it. You won't have wisdom. You won't have access to the secrets. But when you believe, you will. Now notice that he's talking about the kingdom. Everything in chapter 13 is about the kingdom. It's to explain the nature of this invisible kingdom that's coming. And notice in the four soils, something very important is being taught to us here. That <clears throat> there are all kinds of hearts. And first of all, in the first soil, we have the hard heart. Here's a lack of understanding, you see, in verse 18, 19. Lack of understanding. And what happens when you don't understand? You don't understand because you don't believe. If you believe, He'll give you the understanding. But if you don't understand, then the evil one will come and take that gospel word away from you. You have your devotions this morning. By 2 o'clock in the afternoon, it's gone. Because you never understood it. Because you never really believed it. So you read the words. You got the intellectual content. By 2 o'clock, you're off onto your regular pattern and it has no effect upon you. That's the first soil. The second soil is the shallow heart. Be careful how you hear. The shallow heart begins with great enthusiasm, rises up with great enthusiasm. Uh, this is the rocky ground. It's shallow. He hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And you've seen men like this. They, they'll hear the gospel say, oh, all my sins are forgiven. Man, this is the best stuff I've ever seen in my life. I'm going to go out and tell everybody. And two years later, he's in an adulterous affair. What happened? There was initial enthusiasm, and then the persecution comes, Jesus says. You all know this as farmers. You've seen stuff spring up. It has shallow soil, doesn't have roots, and then it dies away. It's not that God saves us and then unsaves us. It's that we were never really saved, and we were nicely faking it for about two years because we were enthusiastic about certain parts of the faith. Maybe we were getting some new friends, or we found acceptance, or... There's just a general optimism that you know today didn't have to be like every day and we can just live in today. Or there's maybe some good pieces of moral advice that we got all excited about, but we didn't have roots in Christ and the kingdom. And so when things became temporarily more difficult than they were happy, well, we just decided, well, let's go find another religion that'll make me consistently happy. So when the persecution comes, we die away. And you've seen in the Sermon on the Mount and in the Sermon on the Mission, he talks consistently about persecution and how to look at it. And here he's talking about it again. People think the kingdom doesn't work because we're being persecuted. What Paul teaches us in Romans 8 is our persecution is proof that the kingdom is working. We're being martyred like Jesus. And the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. This is the way in which God builds His kingdom. So... It takes roots to understand that. It takes abiding in Christ to understand that. But if your roots are in Christ, you'll find you'll have plenty of nourishment for your persecutions. You'll actually flourish and grow through the sunshine. The sunshine will help you rather than to burn you up if you have deep roots in Christ. So that's the second soil. The third soil is the ambivalent heart. Here, the, the seed pops up and seems to be doing quite fine. 
it's, but it's sown among thorns. And the, look at verse 22. The cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And of course, the classic example here is the rich young ruler, a child of Israel who seems to have kept the law of God, at least outwardly, seems to be a good man, a civil man, a responsible man, a wealthy and successful man. And he comes to Jesus and says, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, just keep the commandments. And he says, well, I've done all those. (laughs) Jesus didn't laugh like I just did. Uh, But Jesus did say to him, knowing that he had an idol of wealth, he said to him, okay, one, one thing you lack, Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. And the man hung his head and walked off. And Jesus let him walk. Because Jesus knew he was third soil. Yes, he had many good things going on in his life. But there was something that was choking it out. And you can be involved in church and Bible studies and Christian organizations and give your money away for years and years. But as long as you are toying with that, those toys of gilded dust... Uh, dust those toys that are going to end up destroying you, the ambivalence of your ambitions is going to choke out in the end. And Jesus said, be careful how you hear, that you hear repentantly, that you hear the word of God and you thrust out the words of the flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil. You have to renounce in order to receive. You can't receive the word of God without renouncing the things of the former kingdom. You cannot serve God and mammon. We saw that in the Sermon on the Mount. And the third soil tries to pull that off. And sometimes men can do that for decades and fool themselves and think they're fooling everybody else and really think they're fooling God. But Jesus says, no, that's the third soil. And eventually, the concern for pleasures and possessions will choke out the Word of God in your life. It's a tragic, tragic scenario. And then fourthly, he says, look at the fourth soil. This is the tender heart. And how does it differ from all the other soils? Gentlemen, it bears fruit. It's the only one that bears fruit. The seed that sprang up quickly before it was persecuted and died away, it never bore fruit. The seed that grew up uh, and was choked out, it never really bore fruit. It was a plant. It was alive but it never bore any fruit. What's fruit? Well, fruit's important uh, in the Scriptures. Uh, And fruit is simply the reflection of God's glory in our lives. It's living a holy life and bearing the fruit of Jesus Christ, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And fruit is leading others to Christ, expanding the kingdom, bearing fruit, looking like Jesus increasingly, Not perfectly, but increasingly. And enabling others to do the same. That's bearing the fruit of God. And Jesus said to his disciples, I chose you to go and bear fruit. And that's what it means to be his. That's what it means to hear carefully. That you're hearing so deeply that you understand. You're abiding in Christ with deep roots. And you go and bear fruit. This is a very, very challenging parable and a very helpful one, both for the understanding of how it is we're to listen and why it is that others don't. Let us pray. Father, thank you for this parable of the soils, and we pray that you'll enable us to be 
those of good soil, fertile soil, by hearing very carefully the Word of God. Bless each man in this room. Uh, encourage him today, Lord, to know that you want him to understand you. That's the reason you've spoken to us in parables. You want us to know you. You want us to understand the kingdom. You want us to be your friends and help us to respond as your friends, as your brothers, as your servants, as your worshipers. We make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.